at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly Scholar Newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. to my show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm one of the radio hosts for the New Heights Show on Education and the New Heights Educational Group. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor. This show is pre-recorded. This show is based on the life of Frederick Douglass who wrote three autobiographies. I will continue with a second autobiography written by Frederick Douglass, which is My Bondage and My Freedom, which each week I will read to you certain portions of each chapter. The e-book can be downloaded from www.gutenberg.org backslash files backslash 202 backslash 202-h backslash 202-h.htm. Chapter 12, Religious Nature Awakened. Whilst in the painful state of mind described in the foregoing chapter, almost regretting my very existence because doomed to a life of bondage, so gordid and so wretched at times that I was even tempted to destroy my own life. I was keenly sensitive and eager to know any and everything that transpired having any relation to the subject of slavery. I was all ears, all eyes. Whenever the words slave, slavery, dropped from the lips of any white person, and the occasions were not unfrequent when these words became leading ones in high social debate at our house. Every little while I could hear Master Hugh or some of his company speaking with much warmth and excitement about abolitionist of who or what these were I was totally ignorant I found however that whatever they might be they were most cordially hated and soundly abused by slaveholders of every grade I very soon discovered too that slavery was in some sort under consideration whenever the abolitionists were alluded to this made the term a very interesting one to me if a slave, for instance, had made good his escape from slavery, it was generally alleged that he had been persuaded and assisted by the abolitionists. If also a slave killed his master, as was sometimes the case, or struck down 
his overseer, or set fire to his master's dwelling, or committed any violence or crime out of, out of the common way, it was certain to be said that such a crime was the legitimate fruits of the abolition movement. Hearing such charges often repeated, I naturally enough received the impression that abolition, whatever else it might be, could not be unfriendly to the slave, nor very friendly to the slaveholder. I therefore set about finding out, if possible, who and what the abolitionists were, and why they were so obnoxious to the slaveholders. The dictionary afforded me very little help. It taught me that abolition was the act of abolishing, but it left me in ignorance at the very point where I most wanted information, and that was as to the thing to be abolished. A city newspaper, the Baltimore American, gave me the incendiary inf information denied me by the dictionary. In its columns I found that on a certain day a vast number of petitions and memorials had been presented to Congress praying for the abolition of slavery in the, in the District of Columbia and for the abolition of the slave trade between the states of the, of the Union. This was enough. The vindictive bitterness the marked caution, the studied reverse, and the cumbrous ambiguity practiced by our white folks when alluding to the subject was now fully explained. Ever after that, when I heard the words abolition or abolition movement mentioned, I felt the matter one of a personal concern, and I drew near to listen when I could do so, without seeming too solicitous and prying. There was hope in those words, ever and anon, too, I could see some terrible denunciation of slavery in our papers, copied from abolition papers at the North, and the injustice of such denunciation commented on. These are read with avidity. I had a deep satisfaction in the thought that the rascality of slaveholders was not concealed from the eyes of the world, and that I was not alone in abhorring the cruelty and brutality of slavery. A still deeper train of thought was stirred. I saw that there was fear as well as rage in the manner of speaking of the abolitionists. The latter, therefore, I was compelled to regard as having some power in the country and I felt that they might possibly succeed in their designs. When I met with a slave to whom I deemed it safe to talk on the subject, I would impart to him so much of the mystery as I had been able to penetrate. Thus the light of this grand movement broke in upon my mind by degrees, and I must say that ignorant as I then was of the philosophy of that movement, I believed in it from the first, and I believed in it, partly because I saw that it alarmed the consciences of slaveholders. The insurrection of Natalian Turner had been quelled, but the alarm and terror had not subsided. The cholera was on its way, and the thought was present that God was angry with the white people because of their slaveholding wickedness, and, therefore, his judgments were abroad in, were abroad in the land. It was impossible for me not to hope much from the abolition movement when I saw it supported by the Almighty and armed with death. Chapter 13
13. The Vicissitudes of Slave Life I must now ask the reader to go with me a little back in point of time in my humble story and to notice another circumstance that entered into my slavery experience and which doubtless has had a share in deepening my horror of slavery and increasing my hostility towards those men and measures that practically uphold the slave system. It has already been observed that though I was after my removal from Colonel Lloyd's plantation informed the slave of Master Hugh, I was in fact and in law the slave of my old master, Captain Anthony, very well. In a very short time after I went to Baltimore, my old master's youngest son, Richard, died, and in three years and six months after his death, my old master himself died, leaving only his son, Andrew, and his daughter, Lucretia, to share his estate. The old man died while on a visit to his daughter in Hillsborough, where Captain Auld and Mrs. Lucretia now lived. The former, having given up the command of Colonel Lloyd's sloop, was now keeping a store in that town. Cut off thus unexpectedly, Captain Anthony died intestate, and his property must now be equally divided between his two children, Andrew and Lucretia. The valuation and the division of slaves among contending heirs is an important incident in slave life. The character and tenancies of the heirs are generally well understood among the slaves who are to be divided, and all have their aversions and preferences, but neither their aversions nor their preferences avail them anything. On the death of old master, I was immediately sent for to be valued and divided with the other property. Personally, my concern was mainly about my possible removal from the home of Master Hugh, which, after that of my grandmother, was the most endeared to me. But the whole thing, as a feature of slavery, shocked me. It furnished me anew, insight into the unnatural power to which I was subjected. My destation of slavery already great, rose with this new conception of its enormity. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store, Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen and I'm the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on Frederick Douglass will continue. Chapter 13. The Vicissitudes of Slave Life Continues That was a sad day for me, a sad day for little Tommy, and a sad day for my dear Baltimore mistress and teacher, 
when I left for the eastern shore to be valued and divided. We, all three, wept bitterly that day, for we might be parting and we feared we were parting forever. No one could tell among which pile of chattels I should be flung. Thus early I got a foretaste of that painful uncertainty which slavery brings to the ordinary lot of mortals. Sickness, adversity and death may interfere with the plans and purposes of all, but the slave has the added danger of changing homes, changing hands and of having separations unknown to other men. Then, too, there was the intensified degradation of the spectacle. What an assemblage, men and women, young and old, married and single, moral and intellectual beings, in open contempt of their humanity, level at a blow with horses, sheep, horned cattle and swine. Horses and men, cattle and women, pigs and children, all holding the same rank in the scale of social existence, and all subjected to the same narrow inspection, to ascertain their value in gold and silver, the only standard of worth applied by slaveholders to slaves. How vividly, at that moment, did the brutalizing power of slavery flash before me, personality swallowed up in the sordid idea of property, manhood lost in chattelhood. After the valuation then came the division. This was an hour of high excitement and distressing anxiety. Our destiny was now to be fixed for life. We had no more voice in the decision of the question than the oxen and cows that stood chewing at the haymow. One word from the appraisers against all preferences of, or prayers was enough to sunder all the ties of friendship and affection and even to separate husbands and wives parents and children. We were all appalled before that power which, to human seeming, could bless or blast us in a moment. Added to the dread of separation, most painful to the majority of the slaves, we all had a decided horror of the thought of falling into the hands of Master Andrew. He was distinguished for cruelty and intemperance. Slaves generally dread to fall into the hands of drunken owners, Master Andrew was almost a confirmed sot, and had already, by his reckless mismanagement and profligate dis dissipation, wasted a large portion of all master's property. To fall into his hands was, therefore, considered merely as the first step towards being sold away to the far south. He would spend his fortune in a few years, and his farms and slaves would be sold. We thought a public outcry and we should be hurried away to the cotton fields and rice swamps of the sunny south. This was the cause of deep consternation. The people of the north and free people generally, I think, have less attachment to the places where they were born and brought up than have the slaves. Their freedom to go and come, to be here and there, as they list, prevents any extravagant attachment to any one particular place in their case. On the other hand, the slave is a fixture. He has no choice, no goal, no destination, but is pegged down to a single spot and must take root here or nowhere. The idea of removal elsewhere comes generally in the shape of a threat and in punishment of crime. It is, 
therefore attended with fear and dread. A slave seldom thinks of bettering his condition by being sold, and hence he looks upon separation from his native place with none of the enthusiasm which animates the bosoms of young freemen when they contemplate a life in the far west or in some distant country where they intend to rise to wealth and distinction. Nor can those from whom they separate give them up with that cheerfulness with which friends and relations yield each other up, when they feel that it is good when they feel that is that it is for the good of the departing one that he is removed from his native place. Then, too, there is correspondence, and there is, at least, the hope of reunion, because reunion is possible, but with the slave all these mitigating circumstances are wanting. There is no improvement in his condition, probably, no correspondence, possibly, no reunion attainable. His going out into the world is like a living man going into the tomb, who, with open eyes, sees himself buried out of sight, and hearing of wife, children and friends of kindred type. In contemplating the likelihoods and possibilities of our circumstances, I probably suffered more than most of my fellow servants. I had known what it was to experience kind and even tender treatment. They had known nothing of the sort. Life, to them, had been rough and thorny, as well as dark. They had, most of them, lived on my old master's farm in Tuckahoe, and had felt the reign of Mr. Plummer's rule. The overseer had written his character on the living parchment of most of their backs, and left them callous. My back, thanks to my early removal from the plantation to Baltimore, was yet tender. I had left a kind mistress at Baltimore, who was almost a mother to me. She was in tears when we parted, and the probabilities of ever seeing again, trembling in the balance as they did, could not be viewed without alarm and agony. The thought of leaving that kind mistress forever, and, worse still, of being the slave of Andrew Anthony, a man who but a few days before the division of the property, had in my presence seized my brother Perry by the throat dashed him on the ground, and with the heel of his boot, stamped him in on the head until the blood gushed from his nose and ears. It was terrible. This fiendish proceeding had no better apology than the fact that Perry had gone to play when Master Andrew wanted him for some trifling service. This cruelty, too, was of a piece with his general character. After inflicting his heavy blows on my brother, on observing me looking at him with intense astonishment, he said, That is the way I will serve you, one of these days, meaning, no doubt, when I should come into his possession. This threat, the reader may well suppose, was not very tranquilizing to my feelings. I could see that he really thirsted to get hold of me, but I was there only for a few days. I had not received any orders and had violated none, and... There was therefore no excuse for flogging me. At last, the anxiety and suspense were ended, and they ended thanks to a kind providence in accordance with my wishes. I fell to the portion of Mrs. Lucretia, the dear lady who bound up my head 
when the savage Aunt Katie was added to my sufferings her bitterest maledictions. Captain Thomas Ald and Mrs. Lucretia at once decided on my return to Baltimore. They knew how sincerely and warmly Mrs. Hugh Ald was attached to me, and how delighted Mr. Hugh's son would be to have me back, and, withal, having no immediate use for one so young, they willingly let me off to Baltimore. I need not stop here to narrate my joy in returning to Baltimore, nor that of little Tommy, nor the tearful joy of his mother, nor the evident satisfaction of Master Hugh. I was just one month absent from Baltimore before the matter was decided, and the time really seemed full six months. One trouble over, and on comes another. The slave's life is full of uncertainty. I had returned to Baltimore but a short time when the tidings reached me that my friend, Mrs. Lucretia, who was only second in my regard to Mrs. Hugh Auld, was dead, leaving her husband and only one child, a daughter named Amanda. Shortly after the death of Mrs. Lucretia, strange to say, Master Andrew died, leaving his wife and one child. Thus, the whole family of Anthony's was swept away. Only two children remained. All this happened within five years of my leaving Colonel Lloyd's. No alteration took place in the condition of the slaves. In consequence of these deaths, yet I could not help feeling less secure after the death of my friend Mrs. Lucretia than I had done during her life. While she lived, I felt that I had a strong friend to plead for me in my emergency. Ten years ago, while speaking of the state of things in our family, after the events just named, I used this language. Now all the property of my old master, slaves included, was in the hands of strangers, strangers who had nothing to do in accumulating it. Not a slave was left free. All remained slaves from youngest to oldest. If any one thing in my experience more than another served to deepen my conviction of the infernal character of slavery and to fill me with utterable loathing of slaveholders, it was their base ingratitude to my poor grandmother. She had served my old master faithfully from youth to old age. She had been the source of all his wealth. She had peopled his plantation with slaves. She had become a great-grandmother in his service. She had rocked him in infancy, and tended him in childhood, served him through life, and at his death wiped from his icy brow the cold death sweat, and closed his eyes forever. She was nevertheless left a slave, a slave for life, a slave in the hands of strangers, and in their hands she saw her children, her grandchildren, and her great-great and her great-grandchildren divided like so many sheep without being gratified with a small privilege of a single word as to their or her own destiny, and to cap the climax of their base ingratitude and fiendish barbarity, my grandmother, who was now very old, having outlived my old master and all his children, having seen the beginning and end of all of them, and her present owners, finding she was of but little value, her frame already racked with the pains of old age, and complete helplessness, Fast stealing over her once active limbs, they took her to the woods, built her a little hut, put up a little mud chimney, and then made her welcome to the privilege of supporting herself there in perfect loneliness, thus virtually turning her out to die. 
if my poor old grandmother now lives she lives to suffer in utter loneliness she lives to remember and mourn over the loss of children the loss of grandchildren and the loss of great-grandchildren they are in the language of the slaves poet whittier gone gone sold and gone to the rice swamp dunk dank and lone where the slave whip ceaseless swings where the noisome insect stings where the fever demon stews poison with the falling dews where the sickly sunbeams glare through the hot and misty air gone gone sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone from virginia hills and waters woe is me my stolen daughters this comes to the conclusion of the show next week's show will continue on the autobiography of frederick douglas my bondage and my freedom thank you for listening you can reach me by email barbara b at newheightseducation.org be sure to join me every sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org 5 p.m eastern standard time as i discuss the history of civil rights also join pamela clark's pre-recorded shows which airs wednesday by 6 p.m eastern standard time civil rights is our right have a great week we hope you enjoyed today's show don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. At One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com.